Welcome to week five and our final message in this Build Your Church series. My name is Pastor Quint. I'm the executive pastor here at the church, and I have just really enjoyed these last several weeks. I hope you have too. Uh, we have really taken time to look at who God is calling us to be as his church and these core values. Several years ago, when Pastor Nicole and the staff established these as the core values and kind of the guiding way of the church, um, it, we really... Well, it's just really been crazy to see what God has done as we have consistently lived them out. One of the things we say around here is time and faithfulness, and it's been amazing to see as we've lived with, as time has passed and we've remained faithful to see everything that God has done. If uh, you missed any of these at all, I would encourage you to jump online, watch them on Facebook or YouTube or follow our podcast. And I love that uh, they are available now for us to go back and listen to at any time if we have questions or want to, to review them. For your, your review, here are the five core values. Let's see if we have them in the same order this week. Uh, the first one that we learned about was anchored teaching. The second was redemptive community. Oh, okay, so my, my fault. I should have adjusted. Uh, anchor teaching, redemptive community, purposeful outreach. Last week we talked about spirit-led worship and prayer, and it is my privilege to wrap up today with the topic of radical generosity, all right? Before we do that, I want to kick off today's message on radical gen generosity with a question. Staff, for your own protection, you're not allowed to answer this. Uh, does anyone want to take a guess what Pastor Quint is totally irrational about? Motorcycles. All right, I was waiting for it. Okay, yes, you're close. The answer is not motorcycles, but it is motorcycle related, so you're very close. The answer is the weather app on my phone, okay? And let me explain to you what I mean by the weather app on my phone. This is what I mean. If it's motorcycle season, which around here isn't all year, unfortunately, what I do with my phone is I pull my app out and I look, and if it says sunshine, I look no further. I jump on my bike and I ride to work. Total faith, total trust, right? But if I look on my phone and it says 40% chance of rain, well, I need to dig a little deeper on that. What do you mean, weather app on my phone? Let's look at the hour by hour. When will I be out? Okay, no, no more faith and trust in this app anymore. Now we need to dig a little bit deeper. We need to... Uh, we, we, we need to investigate what it really means when it says 40% chance, okay? So here is why I asked the question. I have to wonder if we can be that way when it comes to God and our finances. Like when it says in Romans 1.12 that the Apostle Paul wanted to get together with other believers so they could be mutually encouraged by their faith, or when it says in Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the gathering of the saints. Are we like, oh, oh, I'm there, God. I'm not going to miss church. And I'm all about my small group, okay? Total faith, total trust on that one. Or when we read in Colossians 3 that we should sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs together. Are we like, yeah, absolutely. I love worship. I love uh, the message uh, station on my serious radio. I love all that stuff. Absolutely. I'm all there. I love Pastor Quint's message last week. Uh, number three, maybe uh, Matthew 28. I'm not going to argue with Jesus' final instruction to us, the, the Great Commission, purposeful outreach. I can't wait to go on the next missions trip. I'm all in on that. And then, of course, when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. We are all in on anchor teaching. We have an awesome pastor who proclaims right from the word. But when it comes to our money, do we have that same all-in energy? Maybe you do. Maybe I'm wasting my breath up here. But maybe 
in a culture that celebrates possessions, in a society that exalts climbing the financial ladder, okay, and, and building our own security, or maybe in a day and age where all we hear about lately is supply chain issues and chip shortages for vehicle production and scarcity, okay? Maybe it's a little too easy to say, I know what you have to say, Jesus. And for the most part, I really like what you have to say, Jesus. Overwhelmingly, I agree with what you have to say, Jesus. But I hope you'll understand in 2022 and with money, it is a little bit different than maybe when, when those words were written. Or to carry on my weather app analogy, maybe the conversation goes more like this. God, I, I really just need to dig a little bit deeper to get full understanding before I take an action here. So that's, that's really what I'm doing. And truthfully, you're just buying yourself time, right? If you're not looking, that's what you're doing. But my hope, okay, my hope is that today we can look together and what the Bible has to say about finances, and we can leave this room as faith-filled for our money as we are for our small group participation or our worship time together or anchor teaching or our next missions trip, okay? For all of it, that is really my hope and prayer. So let's do that by starting exactly where we've started all month, Matthew chapter 16. You should have this memorized by now, but if you don't, I will read it to you. Matthew 16, 13 to 20. And then we're going to jump down to 24 through 26. Verse 13 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Jumping down to verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their own soul? Okay, so here at the end of this exchange with the disciples, we've spent a lot of time in these verses. We've learned a lot of things about the rock of confession that Jesus built his church on, okay? But really, what he's doing to wrap it up is Jesus is just putting everything into perspective. He's really cementing his claim with these followers that he is, in fact, the Messiah, okay? For the record, Lots of rabbis had followers or disciples in this day that followed them around and that learned from them. One rabbi claimed to be the Messiah, okay? So the, a, a teacher with people following and learning, that was kind of commonplace, but one set himself apart when he made the claim that Jesus Christ made, okay? And so in light of that, that reality, if his claim in verses 13 through 20 is true, then honestly, verses 24, 25, and 26 are kind of just the logical conclusion. 
If you're standing there in a conversation and Jesus says to you, all of these things, on this rock I will build my church, okay, and nothing will overcome it. When, when Jesus gets to the end of that and says, whoever wants to follow me must lose himself, wouldn't that really just be followed with like a solid head nod? Like, like yeah, Jesus, I mean, for sure, if you are the Messiah, then yeah, I'll lose myself to follow you. Absolutely, right? I mean, if we really, I'm sure at this point the disciples are thinking, if, we're, if we truly believe this, then like, what does the rest of it matter? And what Christ is putting on display here for all these disciples to consider and for us to consider today, since we are reading these exact words, is really he's contrasting the temporary nature of this world and the eternal and critical role of our souls. That's what he's doing. He is putting those right up against each other and saying, what will we do with that, okay? When he says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange of their soul? He's really almost saying, to wrap up this conversation, now that you know the full scope of everything, the perspective is kind of simple to embrace, right? Right? Okay? And listen, it wasn't that long ago that we did a series on money, and I preached from Luke chapter 16, and I challenged everyone here to consider the passion or the drive that we are living our life with as we take care of our affairs. If you remember from Luke chapter 16, it's the dishonest manager, and there's all sorts of things. But at the end, this is what I thought as I prepared this final message is that we need to consider how does that instruction jive with what we're learning here in Matthew chapter 16 from Jesus, okay? I don't think the Bible contradicts itself. I think we need to dig deeper to figure out what is really happening here. Over here, God is telling us this. Over here, God is telling us that. And that's a lot of what happened with rabbis and their followers as they're hashing things out, okay? So what I have done and what I want to walk through today is I have some simple instructions uh, or some key words that I've kind of uh, tried to wrap this message around to help us get our arms around what is the full scope of this concept. On the one hand, I believe what we preach from Luke 16, and we'll get into some of that as far as uh, our, our drive and our passion and the things that we do to make money. On the other hand, it is true. What good is it to gain the whole world and to lose our souls? So let's dig in to that today, all right? I have four key words that we're going to look at. Uh, and, and scriptures to go with them, and then that's how we're going to go through this. So the first word I want to talk about today is the word responsibility, okay? I think that the Bible is very clear in many places, I just mentioned one, Luke chapter 16, that we have a responsibility to provide for ourselves and for our families, okay? I do not think that what Jesus is saying in Matthew 16 is a license to abandon that responsibility. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says anyone who does not provide for their relatives or family, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, okay? So I think that's like the foundation we want to build on in this conversation is that we have a responsibility when it comes to finances to provide, to earn and provide, all right? The second word is the word stewardship, okay? For a little while, it felt like every message I preached came back to stewardship, all right? But stewardship, for some reason or another, God placed you in this country at this time in history, all right, with the ability to be resourceful, 
to make money, to grow in productivity and in your talents and in your leadership or whatever it is that makes you come alive, okay? He chose and he saw fit that now was the time for you to be created. And I believe to disregard that would be a sin of stewardship, all right? Luke 16 reminds us, I've already mentioned this, that even the pagans know enough to take care of their affairs, so how much more should we? Making money is not unholy. In fact, it is an opportunity to worship with our everyday, ordinary life. This is one of my favorite verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, from the message translation. says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God, okay? So I believe we have a, a responsibility first and then a stewardship. We have the opportunity for stewardship by uh, taking our everyday ordinary life and giving it to God as an act of worship, all right? We talked about worship last week. I didn't mention this, but worship is not just the four songs before someone gets up here and preaches. Worship is your everyday ordinary life. Worship is what you do as you breathe, as you interact with people, okay? It is all an offering to him. So we have responsibility. We have stewardship. The third word today would be the word perspective, all right? And I mentioned perspective when we talked about Jesus turning all of this on the heads for the disciples, okay? But I think what Jesus absolutely is calling us to in this passage is a proper perspective on work. Work has the potential to be holy and God-honoring. Making money is not a sin. Serving money is a sin, okay? It is a part of this life that we live, but all of it is temporary, all of it is fading, and never to be the most important thing that we do with our days. Work and finances and resourcefulness all stay holy as long as they are tools for our Christian walk, not replacements for our Christian journey. Let me say that again, and it's on the screen for you this morning. Work and finances and resourcefulness all stay holy as long as they are tools for our Christian walk, not replacements for our Christian journey. I'm sure we all know someone or have been someone at some time in our life who has made work the end all, the be all, the point of what we do every day, okay? But as long as we have the proper perspective and we understand that these things are part of our life, they are not our life, then we are headed in the right direction. We are maintaining that right perspective, and it then becomes a tool for our Christian walk, not a replacement for our Christian journey. All right, the last word, and I think the most important word when it comes to trusting, to, to uh, following God with our finances is this word, trust, okay? If you get all of the above right, we understand that work and money are part of our responsibility. So we, we take care of that. We understand it's an opportunity for stewardship. We work hard and we get this proper perspective as he's challenging us and the disciples to. Then frankly, all that is left is our trust. Our trust, which becomes action, okay? So here's some questions for you. Question number one, do we trust that God does love a cheerful, happy, excited giver, as found in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 
It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do we trust this word or do we not? The next question, do we trust that how we give, it will be given back to us? Luke 6, 38 tells us this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured out into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. My question is, do we trust this word and this promise, okay? I will tell you from personal experience, this one takes time. And if you think you're going to give today and get tomorrow, maybe, but that's not the point. And that's not, what, that's not why we give. That should never be our motivation. And honestly, you might give today and tomorrow and a year from now and a year from then and a year from then, and then finally start to see some of that come back up in your life. But if the point is giving God our hearts, the point is handing him our trust, it shouldn't matter how this fleshes out. And also, this might not come back purely in the form of finances, okay? And so that, it's never this, I'm going to push this lever and get that thing. That is not what we're doing here. That is not the point at all. We need to give in trust and faith, and we need to let God blow our minds when he wants to and how he wants to, okay? And in my experience, the longer we live in obedience, the greater and the more consistent the reward of living in obedience to God. It just becomes the reality that you live in. It just becomes the life that you're living in. You live in this responsive obedience, and you're just always seeing God show up in your life in some way, shape, or form, and blessing you for that, okay? Let me tell you a quick story on trust that I hope will kind of tie all of this together uh, for you today. My family is my, my wife and I, five kids, and a dog, you saw a picture of him last week. I will say someone said to me last week afterwards when I said, this is our dog, Bare Bones. They thought the dog was going to come running out on the side stage. I'll tell you what, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy, all right? So anyways, um, our family is now at a size where almost always it makes more sense to just buy a membership than go somewhere for a day. Okay, so example, right now, we are card-carrying members of the Buffalo Museum of Science because we wanted to go there for one day, and it was $90, and to become a member, it was 91 And so, that was an easy decision, okay? Last year, this happened to us with the Cleveland Zoo. We wanted to go, we go there, we do the math. It's just economics at this point, right? And so, we uh, became one-year Cleveland Zoo members, all right? And a couple weeks ago, we knew it was expiring at the end of September, so we went for one final day. And it was like a Wednesday, and there was nobody there, and it was great weather, so the animals were active. It was fun. It was good. All right, so we get done, and we pull the kids. What do we want to eat? They decide pizza. We want pizza. We do not know Cleveland, okay, very well at all. I mean, I know how to get to the Cavs Stadium from years gone by, but that's about it. So... Um, we, I go to the Harley shop while they find a pizza place, because that's just how things happen. And I actually, I was going to give myself credit here for not mentioning motorcycles last week, and then I mentioned the motorcycle in the background of that picture of my dog, so I failed. But anyways, um, I go to the Harley shop, they find a place, I come out, and we just drive by faith to this pizza shop. We have no idea what we're getting ourselves into. And it was fine, it was close to the zoo, but we walk in and they're like, it's takeout only. 
And we're like, well, that's not going to work because then we got to go find some park to eat it in or something. Okay, kids, back in the van. So we get back in the van, and we drive to a different restaurant that we found a year ago when we bought the membership. And they apparently have changed how they do business. And they were like, yeah, we're really kind of just a bar now, kids. Now, Okay, so um, we get them back in the van, and then we go to the next place. We drive a mile up the road to a place called Steelyard Commons. I'm like, all right, this seems like it'll be okay. I, again, I don't know Cleveland. Uh, and there's really, everything's a chain. That's just not our thing. We wanted to like find a Cleveland place to eat, okay? So we settle for an IHOP. No shade on IHOP. I know there's one right next door. But we settle for this IHOP and we go in. It's like 6 p.m., okay? We walk in, all the chairs are up on the tables. I say to the hostess, are you guys open? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So she begrudgingly walks us to a booth, sits us down. There's one other customer in the whole place, okay? Kids get the crayons, and they're circling their confetti pancakes or whatever. And they just didn't come. For like five minutes, we just sat there. There's nobody else in the restaurant. They begrudgingly are like, yeah, when we get, I'm like, what is happening? Finally, I look at my wife, and I'm like, if they don't get here in the next 30 seconds, we're out of here. And my second son, Preston, who pays attention to everything, goes, what did you just say? Because they're finally like, oh my gosh, we found food, right? They're circling the pancakes. And then I was like, we're not even waiting 30 seconds. Get the crayons, kids. We're out of here. And so we book it out of there. Tears are flying. Charlie Joe is stamping her little feet, okay? It's pure chaos. They never even saw us leave, okay? Totally oblivious, all right? So we get them back in the van. I'm sure at this point, they're sure we're not eating till Erie, Pennsylvania, okay? And remember, the original goal was pizza. So I try one last time. I punch it in my phone, and I find a place called Crust, okay? And again, still don't know Cleveland, but I drive to it, and it's in this little, like, university park, and the, glasses, or the grass is manicured, and the sidewalks are clean, and we park, and we go in, and they're like, Oh, we actually share this building with a barbecue place called Proof. You can order off either menu. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And so we get in there, we do the whole thing, and the kids have the best pizza, whatever, whatever. At the end, I looked at Anderson, and I was like, well, what do you think? And he was like, I was so mad, but this was so good. <laughs> all right? And this is why I tell you all that. I know it's funny and everything, but this is why I tell you all that. Because if that does not sum up what it's like following God with our finances, okay? It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always feel comfortable. It doesn't always seem like what is happening here. Again, by God's grace, that place was in a good neighborhood. I still didn't know Cleveland. I understand that, okay? But I will tell you that in my experience and in many experiences in this room, when you trust God, with your finances, it doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always feel uh, comfortable or good. But man, when I just would say this, follow him. When God says, trust me, follow me, go day by day with me, and I will never let you down, all right? If you, absolutely, if you have never trusted God with your finances, I want to challenge you today to trust God with your finances, okay? Don't go 80% of the way and leave that last 20%. Don't embrace the core values you're excited about or that are easy. 
Be willing to get uncomfortable and trust him with those things, okay? And let him show you who he is, what he will do, what he has already done in your life. I want to encourage you uh, to just trust him with every facet of your life because that is what he is calling us to, all right? We have called this series, Build Your Church. And we've built some of it around a song called Build Your Church, and we're going to sing that here in a minute. But here's what I want to say as kind of a closing sentiment for all five weeks. You are the church. Not this building, not some other building. We're not saying, Lord, build this building. We're saying, Lord, build me. Build me as the church into someone who trusts you with every area, every facet of my life. And so I want to encourage you today to embrace that, to say, to sing these words in a whole new way and say, Lord, how are you trying to build me, build me from the ground up through anchored teaching, through knowing your word, through the community I'm a part of, through the worship and the prayer I participate in, through the outreach I engage in, whether it's right here in Erie, Pennsylvania or halfway around the world. And Lord, build me with my finances. You know better than I know. You have a better way than I have. And so I trust you with that, okay? So I wanna encourage you to stand this morning. I'm gonna pray to that end. And then let's just worship him. Let's pray. Let's say, Jesus, will you build us into who you would have us to be? Because that is our heart's desire. That is what we seek in all of these things, Lord. We trust you, okay? We trust you. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your truth, Lord. You are worth trusting. You are worth trusting with all of it, Lord. And so we seek and we purpose to do that as your church, as your body of believers. Would you continue to build us individually into who you would have us to be so we can most benefit your church, the local church. I was Amen. Amen. Let's worship.